What's happening, Hardscapers? This is episode 173 of the How to Hardscape podcast, where we talk about how you can start and grow your hardscaping business. And today's episode is brought to you by Cycle CPA. If you need bookkeeping services, accounting, or CFO services, reach out to CycleCPA at CycleCPA.com. Get that conversation started today and let them know how to Hardscape sent you for $200 off your package there. And we'll talk more about Cycle CPA later in this episode. But in today's episode, we have Martin Tirado of Saima. This is the Snow and Ice Management Association, and I've been wanting to get more and more episodes surrounding winter work, especially for those that experience winter. Owning a hardscaping business can be difficult deciding what you're going to be doing in the winter time to keep your employees busy. So more and more, you'll see episodes coming up here with winter type work and obviously snow and ice management is top of mind right now. If you're looking to get into it or to round up those accounts for the winter time, I myself have only done this once. I will likely not get into snow and ice management personally, but this is a viable option for many hardscapers in the industry to keep their crews busy in the winter time. So this is just a basic starting out conversation with Martin Tirado of Saima. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Today we're joined by Martin Tirado. He is the CEO of the Snow and Ice Management Association or Saima where their mission is to empower snow and ice management professionals for success. Martin, thanks so much for joining us here. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me, Mike. We greatly appreciate it. Glad to be here. I appreciate you taking the time to be able to do this. I know snow and ice management must be top of mind for a lot of people listening into this podcast, uh, whether you already own and operate a business as such or are looking to get into it. So, Martin, this is really a timely topic. But let's get started to learn a little bit more about you yourself, how you got into where you are today with Saima CEO. Uh, any stepping stones towards that or anything that you want to cover? Give our audience a little bit, bit of context about yourself. Yeah, well, I've, I've been in organizational or association management my entire career, you know, kind of one of these things I say, like it or not, I'm I'm in it now because it's been since uh, really kind of going on close to 30 years. But um, what I've always kind of been working with is just typically just helping different organizations grow and get better and um, working with board of directors to, you know, execute strategy, you know, um, meet mission, vision of the organization, that kind of stuff. And um, 15 years ago, I had a great opportunity in my career to join. Saima and, and I love working for contractor groups prior. I was with a, a plumbing heating uh, cooling contractor association amongst a few others um, in the mix as well too, but just kind of really enjoyed uh, you know this group is really kind of a the, the entrepreneurial spirit, the you know the business owners and people professionals that work in those in these companies are really kind of I'd say very humble and down to earth and really just trying to you know perform you know, an essential service in their local communities and it's it's been a great uh, great group of people to work with so you know we have a we have a staff of twelve or you know located in Milwaukee Wisconsin headquarters but we have we actually have you know remotely we have a uh, some of our half of our employees are anywhere. So we're kind of in this full, uh, you know, kind of full virtual, which we've more and more people have adopted um, as a business model that have some flexibility. So that, that's worked out well. But uh, you know, a great group of people, you know, and Simon's, uh, we're governed by a board of directors. And that board of directors is a, a diverse mix of basically um, a couple of manufacturers in the industry, uh, but, but predominantly uh, snow and ice contractors, you know, service providers. Um, uh, who who perform snow and ice services, and of course, um, you know, 
probably what you're very familiar with is also similar services in the summertime. They're doing anything from landscaping, uh, uh, mate, lawn maintenance, design build, uh, tree care, anything that's kind of the exterior services uh, field um, is what our members are in as well. So getting into this, talking about snow and ice management, I actually myself don't operate in the wintertime. I don't do snow and ice management, but I know a lot of our listeners have been requesting somebody to come on to talk about this. So uh, perfect to have you here, Martin, and getting right into it here. Let's talk about wanting to get into snow and ice management. Let's start with those little stepping stones. Give our audience like a little bit of... Um, some advice in terms of networking or getting in with property managers or becoming a subcontractor for a landscaper to kind of get that ball rolling, maybe even taste it before they actually try it out on themselves. Where would you recommend somebody just getting into the industry, getting those first steps and and meeting with people or getting those initial contracts? How would you kind of uh, give some advice for that? Yeah, let me frame this with uh, the the opportunity that's out there and the research that we've done, and this is just on the private sector. So this excludes anything that's a public, you know, municipal town, highway work in the private sector, um, snow and ice in the United States is a $20 billion industry with 88,000 businesses in Canada. It's a $4.4 billion industry with 18,000 businesses. So that kind of tells you that, um, there's just a lot of opportunity out there. These these are kind of local entrepreneurial type of people. Um, you know, it's a lot larger than people realize, and I think probably predominantly because it's kind of a you know, kind of a hidden and sometimes taken for granted service that's performed. You know, it's middle of the night, it's weekends, it's when the, you know you could work three straight days in a row with these back, some back to back snowstorms, or you get a big blizzard that can take a lot of time to do the full clearing that. You know, sometimes people go to sleep at night and they wake up and they think some kind of magic happened. But what's happened is there's been, you know, thousands of people working with, you know, with equipment to perform uh, snow and ice as essential service. But that to frame that is like, how do you get into it? And what I would do is um, what we see is is use those local contacts that you have. Uh, you know, I recommend or you know, we would Simon was like you start small. Look at your local community and the and the people you're kind of working with now on the on the landscaping or exterior exterior services side, and see which of these would, are are companies that absolutely do need and value snow and ice services, and you know of course if they have a paved surface, a parking lot, or a driveway, the sidewalks they're going to need it. They're going to need it in some capacity unless you know there's residential they do it themselves, but they're going to need it in in some manner and. Um, so you can kind of start there or um, definitely get involved in like your local business community, like a chamber of commerce or um, better, better business bureau, those types of things that kind of develop some relationships there. And then um, for bigger, bigger projects, you may actually want to tap into you know, being a subcontractor. All the, but you look at your local area, I would say some of the larger uh, landscape contractors are all performing snow and ice services. If you're in a cold weather environment, um, which we, you and I both are in the, in the audience and this, many of them probably are, you know, that, that get some kind of snow and ice, they, they have to, you know, whether you like it or not, some ways they kind of have to do it in the, in the winter time to uh, be a year round um, service provider for your, uh, for your customer. And so possibly, you know, it's very hard to kind of just walk into a, 
large facility, whether that's an Amazon or Walmart and Target and say, hey, where can I, can I talk to the property manager? Usually those decisions are made at a corporate level. So that's where, you know, kind of working with um, one of your local landscapers that you know, you've seen their trucks around, their equipment around, on, even if it's placed on sites that does um, snow and ice work. They're all looking for people like every other industry. There's a shortage of people that want to do this. And if you're willing to, to work at, at, you know, odd times and invest, uh, there, there can be certainly a, um, some nice profits made from this and be able to keep you kind of working and generating income uh, year round. So that's kind of the, a little bit on the contractual side. If you want to go to the, um, the equipment side is um, uh, it, people may already have these relationships. Is It's your local de- dealer distributor. They probably are also a, a dealer distributor for a, a plow and a spreader company. And there's different, you know, there's different sizes that, that, you know, obviously there's, you know, large heavy equipment that, that may be more when you start to grow your business that you acquire and you get people to work on that. But if, if you're talking about, you know, your typical work truck and doing, a, you know, a, mounting a plow and even a, a spreader on the back, you can get that through your local um, dealer distributor. And all it takes is really to be able to get some, um, you know, a few of those contracts if through that that network that you make locally. And you know, I always kind of frame this as well too, is like this is what I would call a low barrier of entry business. A lot of exterior services are. Um, you know, really kind of you just need some of the proper equipment and a couple of contracts and you're really you're a, you're in business in, in in snow and ice. And and great advice there to get started. I like the idea of you know starting out small. Uh, I did that with my own business, but also I, I tried snow and ice management for a winter. Uh, turns out it wasn't exactly for me, uh, but it is. I, I do like the idea of going out at night and uh, have nothing, nobody on the road. And I'm just going and doing one thing and uh, plowing that snow and making that money. But uh with that, being a subcontractor is a great way to kind of get started and to lean on the expertise of somebody else in order to be able to go out there. Uh, also get to know the equipment, what works best for you, the best practices in the industry for actually being out there in the field. So I, I love the idea of getting started as, as a subcontractor to see if it is right for you and your business, right? Yeah, it's a good way, like you said, it's a good way to test whether you really want to get into this business or not. And if you do really enjoy it and some people have a real passion for it, that's where, again, you can you know start local and kind of grow from there. Um, probably can open some doors and just even some, maybe some smaller um, uh, properties. Think of like, you know, the gas stations or banks or some, and there's a lot of independent businesses out there that are kind of lo- looking for a you know, local contractor to perform some of these. And, kind of then, and that's kind of how you can grow on that. And um, we certainly have some members that have a mix of, they have their own direct contracts through customers. And there's some that they're a subcontractor for. Again, some of these big nationally, you know, again, talking about the, um, now I mentioned the retail chains, but think about the large property management companies. Uh, again, decisions are made at a corporate level. It's probably, you know, some of those is good to have a mix. So you're a subcontractor for someone who has those agreements with a, a large property management company. And having a mix can be good too. And you could kind of really then take off from there to however, you know, you really want to go with it. Getting into that, uh, in terms of um, acquiring these clients and and getting that ball sort of rolling there, um, I want to talk about the a good time to 
start reaching out to say property managers, say you're ready to take the next step beyond subcontracting. Um, what, what is a good time to really get this ball rolling, get contracts signed, get people signed up? Uh, are we a little bit too late at that right now at this time, it, being that it's uh, late September when we're uh, doing this interview? Or are there going to be people scrambling last minute up to that snowfall that we can kind of, you know, hope to get that last minute sign up as well? Yeah, combination of both. And yeah. glad you brought this up. Um uh, today, you know, first day of fall and or mid-September. I know this may be you know, produced next week or something, but um, the, we have a procurement timeline and the best practices for procuring of snow and ice is by September 1st to have all your contracts and agreements with your um, properties and facilities you're going to perform services on. And of course, you know, I, I, I go talk to people and I do a little bit of speaking here and there. I always ask the audience around this time of year, even getting into October, I'm like, who here has 100% of their contract sign you know by and large uh, i get a very small handful of people that are kind of really well you know well ahead of time and typically those are people that have renewed past you know renewal uh, customers so they're just doing some of this a lot of the same work that in the past and they might be on multiple years but um the what you see in the supply chain issues that are happening now is it, it it takes a lot in order to be ready for snow and ice to, it, and there's a cost to that as well too and you need to have that september one date if you can again it's the best practice to be able to have it's it's the equipment the materials um you know salt or treated salt maybe you're going to even get into liquids if you get more experienced um, let's say you even have to have equipment that's placed on site on a property. Um, that takes some a, a time to to obtain and, and get that set up and staged and ready. And this gives you some time. But and that and even with that is the people. Um, if you do get to a point where you have some employees and some people here are may have many already, is um, you know it's tougher to get people to to do the work. And um, you're gonna need time to do some recruiting. Um, if you have you know, properties that need this uh, work performed. So again, the sooner the better. Sure enough, I wouldn't say, you know, mid-September is no time if you want to get into it and add a few customers, to, you know, don't give up. Everybody's looking to do, looking for people to do this work. And sure enough, you know, we hear all the time, like, oh, I, I, I had this contract out to a customer back in August and now it's November 1. And, and sure enough, the weather says it's going to, we're going to get snowfall in the next 48 hours. And finally, they called me and said, hey, I'm sending you that contract back. So it happens at the last minute, too. Um, so, uh, you know, but put it this way, September, now's the time. I just want to take a break from today's episode to talk about our sponsor, Cycle CPA. You may have a CRM or project management software in place, but what data are you using to ensure your estimating is accurate? Having a proper accounting setup and accurate bookkeeping done is key to understanding overhead expenses and other costs that must be recouped in your estimates. Cycle CPA is a remote bookkeeping and CFO firm that helps to connect the dots from the financial reports to the hardscape and landscape data needed in order to reach high profits. They provide landscape and hardscape industry benchmarking, job costing financials by service line, advisory meetings, and much more. Cycle CPA's team of accountants are specialized within the hardscape and landscape industry, and you can visit them at cyclecpa.com and for $200 off, mention the How to Hardscape podcast. 
Now back to our episode. Continuing on that, uh, I'm sure a big thing is, or I know a big thing is insurance. And I do want to talk about that with you. Uh, Being in Ontario, I know even just outside of the industry looking in, insurance is a a difficult thing, uh, not only to just acquire, but to maintain and, and continue on very costly. I just kind of want your two cents on insurance. Is that something that you see in the States as well? This difficulty of, of getting insurance for the snow and ice management. Um, and, and also if you could maybe like, what, what are some next steps that, you know, we can, uh, what are the next steps for getting affordable insurance for these snow and ice management companies? Because like you said, this is a, necess- a necessity in the wintertime, uh, both here in Ontario, Canada, and in the States, I'm sure the Northern States, uh, this can't go away. So just your two cents, if you want to on insurance. Yeah, no, I was actually um, just recently in Toronto, outside of Toronto, the Landscape Ontario. They hold a one-day snowposium event. And that was actually predominantly some of the conversation they were happening was presentations on insurance. And um, there's a self-insured retention group that's that's formed there, but mainly on, on insurance and making sure you have adequate coverage and affordability because it is, it's, it's gotten much more costly and more carriers have gotten out of the market. They can kind of call it now a hard market. Um, and that's actually happening. I, I, I think it actually happened in the United States five to 10 years ago, kind of over time. So companies here in the States are facing it as well too. And um you know, one of the the general challenges is the importance of it is uh, uh, through some market research we did. This kind of comes from Zurich, which is a large uh, carrier. Is of all the slip and fall uh, claims that are that are paid out, twenty five percent of them come from snow and ice services. So you just think about every time that someone trips on a stairs or a crack in a sidewalk or concrete or, or really anywhere. 25%, one in four is, is related to snow and ice. So there's a big risk right there. And that shows that, um, and that's kind of where some of the you know, insurance carriers get a little um, you know, sensitive or delicate as to who they're, who they're going to cover uh, insurance wise. So um, we kind of rely on really kind of the safety best practices in this. And that's a, a variety of things, um, but it's, it's really kind of looking at documentation, doing some weather reporting, um, having some kind of either safety, making sure you have the right um, personal protective equipment combined with um, a safety training that you do in your company. Even if, um, you know, even there's there's some readily available training videos that, you know, both Simon, some other entities have as well, too, that um, kind of give you some of the essential best practices training that you do those things. And if, and if you're brand new to getting into the, um, into the snow and ice industry is, look at like kind of uh, your loss history and your claim history and whatever exterior services that you do just talking with some insurance carriers whether you know it's if you if you've been a, a safe company on the landscaping side they're going to see you as, as more insurable on the winter services side um and and the more that you do in that realm it, the more that you're going to be protected on on some of the the slip and fall claims because you have this documentation you have some you know you have some training um and particularly you know for the documentation there's it, people know this is it's come a long way in 15 years software has gotten way better there's a number of companies that uh, provide uh, great software services on tracking of of people and, and services performed you know mobile via your phone or a or a tablet that you can then you know keep in um 
you know, in, in your file storage electronically versus kind of the old paper copies of stuff. So um, some of those best practices are really critical and the more that you can do, the better. And, um, you know, it, it's it, it's not easy. This is, again, this is a, an industry that that absorbs a lot of risk and to be able to be prepared to, to kind of take on that risk. And what we're, what we're doing, we're kind of looking at is, is right now we're in communication with different um, insurance brokers and carriers to just talk about, hey, if you had kind of the ideal uh, snow and ice company or snow and ice person, if it's an independent, you know, one person contractor that you see as an insurable client, what are the things, the components that they have? And so it's like, how long in business? What's the claim history? What's the size of the business? What percent are they in other industries? Again, how much are they doing in, in landscaping or you know, hardscaping, tree care, whatever that is? Kind of taking a look at all these different factors. And so that's what we're working on right now is trying to put that together so that we can kind of go to companies and say, hey, if you can kind of do the, the, the more that you can do of these items, the more that you're going to fit into an insurable company. And that's going to be able to, to stabilize insurance rates um, and and those premiums and make sure that you have the coverage that you need. Excellent. Yeah. It, discussion around insurance, as well as I'm just going to read this right off of the SIMA website here. Uh, your vision, snow and ice management professionals and those who benefit from their services adhere to the highest industry standards. I want to ask you about that. What what makes what are some industry standards that uh, you like to see being adhered to that you promote at SIMA, even if you want to choose a specific company, don't have to name names, but you, you kind of look at that company as, you know, setting highest industry standards and you can kind of use them as an example in certain cases. But at SIMA, what are those industry standards that you want to see snow and ice management professionals adhering to? Yeah. So we have, um, an, an ANSI, American National Standards Institute uh, standard that's been approved that um, is a procurement uh, standard. And so it talks about just how to procure the, the standards in procuring snow and ice services. Um, there's also our best practices um, and the checklist with that. So you kind of hit on it is, is with that, you know, with that vision is it's wanting to create them. The, the, the next big challenge is actually getting adoption. And a lot of companies, more and more companies are kind of adopting these, but we need to get, by and large, you, you need to get as many, if not 100% of the industry practicing these 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 items, these standards as much as possible. And when you kind of take a look at the procurement um, standard, it really kind of talks about uh, the scope of work and level of service and making sure that that's very clear between the service provider and the customer or the client, what those are, um, you know, scope of work again is what exactly you're doing. What's the scope of that project? Are you doing the entire property and sidewalks and the loading, the loading docks and the front entry? There's some areas maybe you aren't depending on what the customer is. And then your level of service is kind of, you know, what you think of it is there's properties that no snow and ice, at any time, just think of like hospitals or 24 hour, uh, you know, shipping, warehousing facilities, things like that. Like you usually, you hear the term too, no tolerance. Um, 
And so that's the level of service. And some of them might have a, a, a different tolerance on what that level of service is. So that, you know, that that standard talks about, you know, some of the things I mentioned earlier. It's, it's not only scope of work and level of service, but also the documentation. I mean, what, what is in that documentation? There's several things about it. It's, it's weather tracking and reporting. You need that. You need to know what type of equipment are on property during when these services are performed, what times those services are are happening, um, what kind of personnel do you have on, on, on that property at what time? And again, this is where software can be real, uh, a great impact uh, for, for companies to adopt. Um, it's really kind of some of those things. And I, I definitely think that some of the leading companies are, are definitely practicing these, um, you know, kind of gets into even like, you know, what are your, what are your safety, documentations that you have, you know, you're, you're making sure that um, you have trained operators who go through some kind of um, some type of regular safety training, whether that's even just, you know, a weekly quick kind of, you know, roundup on looking at different pieces of equipment to even more in depth, you know, whether it's um, certifications uh, or that type of training. Um, and even, you know, a, a, in Canada, there's a group of Canadian snow contractors now that are working on a, a CSA. It's a Canadian standards. And I actually was, thought that had a, a, a lot of potential. It looked really exciting um, just talking about it with some um, Canadian contractors because that's it's done through like a kind of a quasi government entity where in the United States, ANSI is kind of an independent. You don't have to get it. It just it, it adds kind of a seal of approval where it seems like if you get the CSA Canadian standard, you almost have like a government entity that's kind of giving the seal of approval, which I actually think is even better. Um, so that's going to take some time to, to kind of develop, but there's a group of people that are really committed to putting together a very thorough um, standard. I think that's going to, you know, do a lot of, make a lot of help, but um, does that kind of help answer your service? And your question, I mean, it's kind of like this, um, level of service and some of these things you can get on our on our website we'll hit that kind of later on but at sima.org um these uh the the standard and the best practices can be downloaded on our website gotcha gotcha yeah absolutely it was a more of like a broad-ranging question anyways with that but um you did you did mention things like um salt with that uh I, i've heard in the past there's there's been salt shortages Obviously, I'm not plugged into the industry completely here, but uh, how how do contractors kind of prepare for, say, a salt shortage? Or are there alternatives to salt that you could uh, kind of point them towards to do a little bit more research on? Um, just salt in general. How do you even know that there's going to be a salt shortage and preparation for that and maybe even alternatives to that solution as well? Yeah, there really isn't a great way to know whether there's going to be a shortage or not. There's been at least two in the 15 years that I've been involved, and maybe even three. But I remember two significant ones, and it really kind of there's kind of some random supply chain issues that arise and that leads to them. And um, th there are some emerging alternatives, but when it comes to cost and price, salt is still the most effective at uh, melting snow and ice at a price point that's um affordable and you know kind of achievable for you know for snow contractors to obtain to use um but when we've always kind of adjusted and it's difficult because it takes money to do this but to really um protect yourself against these salt shortages you have to you have to be prepared to purchase 
a significant amount of uh, salt in advance, um, kind of well before the season starts, and and to have that have a place to to store that supply of salt. Um, for alternatives, um, uh, there are companies that are moving more into some non chloride. Um, products that are kind of emerging they're typically on the liquid side but even a lot of liquids are um contain chlorides as well too so if it, some of that really kind of comes into, into play if you're in, in an environmentally sensitive area or a, maybe a watershed or near a lake district that is is sensitive to some type of chloride contamination but um you know liquids i would say is it's more more of a complex there's more is the equipment's different and how you uh apply it different but one other way that like kind of more of an, an essential way to, to make your salt supply more effective and last longer is is pre-treating pre-treating your salt supply with a liquid typically um you kind of talk to all the people that both apply it and even manufacturers that supply the liquid it gives you 30 percent more effectiveness um so that kind of gives you basically you can you can use 30 percent less and get the same uh results and that can be from anywhere from treating um, your salt in advance. So you go some you spray your salt pile to actually having this equipment that does it at, at point of uh, distribution, um, a liquid tank combined with a, um, a salt carrier that's in the back of a truck. And when it's distributed out and sprayed out onto um, on paved surfaces, the liquid mixes with the salt and it's then um, they're applied that way. So kind of at the point of distribution. So both are very effective and, and can kind of lower your, um, your commitment to um, uh, to having large amounts of salt in advance, and you know, like any kind of you know, supply kind of item, is always have a couple of resources kind of in your back pocket. You know, don't rely on when it comes to salt. If you can, try not to rely on just kind of one entity as your resource. Maybe have a couple other people. Maybe you buy your you know your salt from a couple different entities, basically to kind of hedge um, um, to make sure that they actually have enough salt for to to provide you as a customer excellent points there and uh like you kind of mentioned there salt i'm sure is very much a regional even down to the municipality uh thing or even just treatment in general so going back to what we said or you said at the beginning there working as a subcontractor to kind of pick up these certain best practices in your specific area uh could be a very beneficial thing for that uh also, documentation, software uh, to help you with your routes and to help you with liability. Do you see a lot of companies taking a lot of pictures, taking a lot of video these days in terms of uh, absolving themselves of certain liability? Does everybody take a picture before they plow a certain property and then afterwards get a timestamp so that they have that? Uh, does this help in any way, shape or form? absolve them of any liability, say something was to happen. Um, it, just talking about documentation in general, uh, do you see a lot of contractors going that route, pictures, video, constant? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Before and after is, is and more and more people are doing that. It's becoming significantly more common, particularly with more of those, you know, those kind of cameras everywhere now, whether we kind of like it or not. A lot of properties actually even own them. Um, and if you can kind of tap in, but into what the, what's on those cameras, but combined with yeah, before and after of your own of um, the services that you perform or that operator has, if it's someone that you know that's working for you, have them do it or do it your yeah, kind of do it yourself. But that before and after photo is absolutely essential. And yeah, um, 
Uh, I've seen some examples where they've actually come and shown like not only on the, the risk on the slip and fall side of it, but also just to people like, Hey, I thought were were you out here? And they say, yeah, look at what um, I have a picture here where I, we were there from 5 a.m. to, to 6.30 a.m. And unfortunately, by 9 a.m., it's still been snowing, you know, an, an inch an hour or something like that. So then it's like, oh, you have to come back. But that kind of helps on the on the billing and financial end of it. Um, if you're, you know, if you're billing on, on like a per time per event, that's what kind of helps, um, you know, verify that you, know, you can invoice services and is that, you um, documentation of that, that you were there. So, and then absolutely, I, I think that on that, that slip and fall, that, that before or after is going to definitely will help you on, um, on claims and the legal process. If, if a, a slip and fall claim kind of goes to, uh, you know, more advanced and potentially going to a court case, having that is going to be a pretty essential that shows that you did what you were hired to do. There is some natural accumulation in snow and ice that you just can't prevent. You just can't catch it as it's falling out of the sky. But you were there at the right time and you performed what you were contractually obligated to do. Things that happened in between then, they just kind of happened as that's why they're called accidents. And there definitely have been, you know, now there's just been really a, uh, a lot of examples of companies that are doing that well that are um, protecting themselves against these claims. Just kind of coming to, I guess, a close here. Saima, best practices. We've covered a lot in uh, this wide-ranging interview, and this is kind of the kind of the direction that I wanted to go with this. Is this is the first time we've had a snow and ice management professional on the podcast? So uh, great to have it being broad range. Are there any other best practices, Martin, that you've seen uh, from other companies or that Saima promotes that we haven't really even touched on here in this interview? Um, you know, that's kind of most of them from like a broad, you know, broad understanding, kind of, kind of big picture. Um, you know, I do really want to get into the kind of the depths of them. You know, it's like kind of you know, our website, you know, there's some probably some other resources I'm sure out there by some of the a lot of the software companies have some really nice training um, of what to, to do. It's not just using their, their, their software. It's kind of what you should know. And when working in, in snow and ice services, but yeah, you know, and then also I would say, um, kind of one of the things that, that we do in other organizations as well is it's the networking. It's, can you, you know, listen, like listen to a podcast, for example, you're, you're tapping into a network of other professionals and other people. And, you, know, you do that by going to in-person meetings, you know, do it through virtual these days. There's a lot of virtual kind of, um, you know, you know, training programs or, you know, virtual networking. We run some, there's other groups that do it as well too. And it's really kind of like, Hey, uh, you meet with someone that, you know, how can we help each other? How can we do it better? Hey, what, what what's working for you? Um, you know, how are people, you know, recruiting people how are you retaining people how are you getting new contracts you're right it's like you're just getting into it what are some of the sales methods that you're using how you get in the, in the door um and so i you know i just highly encourage people to do that you kind of have to i would say kind of break out of you know your own environment you know but kind of break out of your you know and challenge yourself challenge yourself to change and maybe get a little bit better and you know try to meet a few you know meet some new people and the more that you do and in, in whatever professional service that you're in, you're going to learn a lot more about how to in, improve yourself and improve your company. Excellent, excellent advice. And that's Sima.org. That's S-I-M-A, Snow and Ice Management Association.org. You also Got have it. a podcast as well there? 
Yeah, we do. It's called Snow Talk. There's a link to it on um, on our website. But if you actually look up in any of the, the podcast platforms, just look up Snow Talk. And then we have a, a podcast on there where we do talking again, a lot about some, some of the same things, you know, different challenges on different weather environments, um, how other stories of how some people have succeeded in this business. Um you know some of the some of these you know safety and, and training items. So yeah, um, just go you know search that up, and then um, of course if anyone wants to reach out to me directly, certainly willing to help you see what challenges they have and maybe guide you in the right direction. I'm I'm at martin at sima.org. That's my email, so that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Perfect, Martin. Uh, just any closing things that you want to say here in terms of the future of Saima? What do we have looking forward to with uh, Saima? Any events uh, that you'll be at, that you'll be hosting? And what uh, what what does a typical Saima event look like in terms of uh, the educational content and networking that we would get out of an event like that? Yeah, so our main uh, flagship event is the snow and ice symposium we hold it annually in the uh, middle of june the third week of june every year um and next year in 2023 it's going to be um in hartford connecticut in mid-june and we kind of call it the the greatest um you know three four days of snow and ice and what it is it's it's uh, two days of a trade show um and then uh well over i don't know now we're up at probably over 30 different educational topics and speakers that you can learn from anything from sales, estimating to operations, to um, uh, to leadership and business development, really kind of cover all the topics. And then of course, then it's there's 2000 total attendees. And what it is, is you get 2000 people together who are talking snow and ice and how to get better in snow and ice and just great things just kind of happen on sharing those resources. A lot of times too, it's, it's really a business to business um, development as well. We have a lot of people that um, have, have obtained a lot of new contracts and customers through those relationships. It's like, oh, hey, you know, I oh, you're in this city. Well, you're kind of, you know, maybe you're adjacent to where I have a couple where I'm working, but I have some accounts over there where I need someone to kind of perform and then vice versa. There's almost like an exchange of, uh, again, this B2B where you can actually earn um, a lot of stories I've heard of people exchanging and really hundreds of thousands of dollars of potential business at the, at the Snow Ice Symposium. So I really encourage anyone that, you know, you're, you're curious. That's really kind of the, the big flagship event in Snow and Ice. Awesome. Martin, thank you so much for this interview. Yeah, glad, glad to be here, Mike. Thanks. And uh, um, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to today's podcast episode. Once again, check out CycleCPA at CycleCPA.com. Mention How to Hardscape. Get $200 off bookkeeping, accounting, or CFO services. I really do appreciate you tuning into today's episode. If you have any winter type service work or things that you want to get into, reach out to us at How to Hardscape to let us know what that is. And maybe we can round up an interview surrounding getting into that work or just installation, whatever that might look like for that type of work especially as we are getting close to the end of the season here as winter begins to approach leave us a rating review apple podcast spotify wherever you listen to us share these episodes this really helps us get this podcast out there into more people's ears and we look forward to meeting with you next week on the how to hardscape podcast